Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show that never ends. Come inside, come inside. That has to be the most hackneyed opening to any show ever, isn't it? Hello, I am your mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. I'm the host of this here gig. This is The Long Road to Ruin. I am Mr. Mark Rattledge. And tonight, this afternoon, today, what time is it? Anyway, we will be looking at the Daniel Craig James Bond series in celebration of today's release of the fourth of the Daniel Craig Bond movies, Spectre, starring Dave Bautista, former WWE heavyweight champion. <clears throat> and joining me, of course, uh, unfortunately, we, uh, we were going to have a third, third host on here, but he was not able to make our rescheduled show. So uh, to Mr. Andrew, um, we, we certainly appreciate all of your efforts, and we will be incorporating your ideas into the show. But uh, who, who is here, and more important, deeply important, Mr. Sean Comer, how do you do, sir? <laughs> Welcome, everybody, listening live to the Lunch Road to Ruin. <laughs> this, is, this, this is what happens when – see, the, the thing to always keep in mind about our show is it's really rare that we ever have to reschedule because of Mark's schedule. Uh, acknowledging that right up front – if we ever have to put a show off, chances are it's because something came up on my end. And this is uh, this is no different. We were supposed to do this last night, but I had a couple client pitches that I had to get ready for work, and so I got a hold of Mark early in the afternoon and said, look, my undivided attention is needed elsewhere. I can't do it tonight. Can we do it tomorrow? And he said, and he said yeah, yeah, you betcha. Um, and so here we are. Mark is at home on his lunch break. Uh, I am hanging out outside the Starbucks right now. Got my coffee, my Nas Zero here in front of me. Um, and we are going to talk about three out of the four movies that, well, let's just call a spade a spade. They pretty much saved the franchise. <laughs> I grew up actually with the Roger Moore James Bond. I'll tell you, let, let me. Well, everybody I wanna, did. <laughs> I want to start off. I want to admit a couple of things right right up front. Uh, I'm not the world's biggest James Bond fan, and I didn't see any of these movies when they when they first came out because pretty much after um, not not to admit, Timothy Dalton's the one that only was it Pierce Brosnan or Timothy Dalton that only did the one that everyone hates. Um, well, Dalton did two movies. Uh, Dalton made, okay, and I know, I, I'm trying to do this without Wikipedia, so forgive me if I get this wrong. Uh, I want to say Dalton's were The Living Daylights and License to Kill. And then the franchise went on hiatus for a number of years, and then it came back with Pierce Brosnan in, um... Golden Eye. I, okay, let's let's see if I can make see if I can get all these right. Uh, the first one was Golden Eye. Then it was the one that Cheryl Crow did the theme song to. Right. Um, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, Tomorrow Never Dies. And then it was uh, The World Is Not Enough, and finished out with Die Another with Die Another Day, the one with Halle Berry. And then 
somewhere along the line, and this is where I'm going to take kind of a pointed, topical sidetrack here and just point out what the problem is, I think, with the disconnect between that generation of Bond that ran from Sean Connery through Roger Moore and George Lazenby and Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan um, up until the reboot with Daniel Craig. That first generation, it's emblematic of something that's a problem with almost any pop culture property that you can think of that has a long legacy of change from Batman to Doctor Who to Star Trek to pretty much all manner of professional wrestling. And it's that stodgy stubbornness of, man, that's not the way I remember it. The way I remember it was better. I reject your newfangled reality and I substitute my own. Well, here's the problem. The rose-colored glasses with anything have got to come off sometime, and people have, you inevitably just have to at least call a spade a spade and acknowledge that the old stuff had its faults, too. It damn sure wasn't perfect. Uh, you get the people who hate every Batman movie from Tim Burton onward because it's not the goofy, bam, biff, pow, uh, Adam West and Burt Ward, Batman and Robin. Uh, everything got all dark and serious. And to a certain extent, I see the I see the complaint. But you don't have to necessarily say that one is better than the other, but you have to admit that, yeah, the the 60s Batman was goofy as hell. <laughs> it And granted, it was intended, it was intended to be, but it wasn't really... You can't do that forever. You can't just stay going in that one direction. Every highway eventually reaches its end. Um, nothing stretches on into forever. The same thing with professional wrestling. You hear all the time nowadays, the rock and wrestling era was better. I miss old school wrestling. Why can't it be more like that? Yeah, okay. Granted, it was it was better in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it wasn't perfect. It also gave a shit like the gobbledygooker and uh, Tony Atlas being decked out in a loincloth and a spear. Oh, well, the Attitude Era was better than this. Oh, yes, granted, Rock, Stone Cold, Triple H, pretty much the revival of the Undertaker character as the Underbiker. Yeah, sure, but allow me to throw out just one phrase at point that points out that it had its problems, too. I choppy choppy you pee-pee. Um, uh, Whovians, okay, I, I, I'm sorry. You may not like the new series for how serious it's become. Granted, there are a lot of times I won't blame you as I make clear on my Facebook every single week. But if you can look me in the eye and you can honestly say that the new series has produced anything as bad as Warriors of the Deep or Terror of the Vervoids, I will never believe another single solitary thing that comes out of your mouth. And that brings me to the Bond movies. The thing is, is the old Bond movies, they're goofy, they're campy, they're kitschy, they've got the cool... They've got the cool gadgets. Those are the things everybody remembers. You have women with names where you could play an interesting game of 
Bond Girl or My Little Pony. Um, but at the end of the day, you watch those, and then you watch, say, the first Austin Powers movie, and you realize about the only thing about the Austin Powers movie that feels really exaggerated compared to the Bond movies when when they're at when they're at their fucking goofiest is pretty much Austin himself. That that's about the only thing that really feels like a parody. Because you know, you can only kind of go in that weird direction to such a point after which you run out of ideas. And right. so and that was what happened here was they took Bond literally as far back in his roots as possible and started from there. Um, no more uh, talk, no more um, uh, brown, tall, dark, brown-eyed, handsome men uh, like Connery and Moore and, Dal- and Dalton and Brosnan. No, we're going with a younger-looking, blondish James Bond who, if anything, in persona was a step way, way back, like zip codes, continents away from the suave and debonair Pierce Brosnan, pretty much back to the Connery roots, uh, the, the real kind of rough and ready, authentic authentic man of action feel that every Bond since then had stepped away from. And it tried to really take him away from being caricature and breathe some new life into him and kind of reshape him as a character again. Um, Kind of a little bit more of the way Sir Ian Fleming envisioned him. And it started off well with Casino Royale, and then it really kind of hit a big miasma of nonsense with Quantum of Solace, and it seemed to find its footing again with Skyfall. God knows, Mark, you and I are going to disagree on that one in a little bit. And I'm hearing split reviews about the new movie. I'm hearing some people who are saying it's the best of the Daniel Craig Bond movies movies yet. It's fantastic. See see it every bit as good as Skyfall. And uh, 10 out of 10 IGN. Um, but then I'm hearing other people, namely critics, who are saying, well, Bond fans, you howled and pissed and moaned that you wanted more of the sillier, gadget-based, light-hearted, far-flung Bond. You got it, and guess what? It sucks. <laughs> and, and to be perfectly honest, I have no idea which one to take more seriously. Well, we'll know this Wednesday when Robert Winfrey and I actually review the movie. I'm going to see it on Sunday. You'll probably see it either Wednesday morning or Tuesday. So, in keeping with the first three, uh, yeah, Sean and I disagree on Skyfall, but uh, the other two, I, I, I'm 100% agreement. I think Casino Royale starts off very, very strong. Quantum of Solace is kind of a mess. And Skyfall uh, is the story of two different movies, one of which is okay and the other which is retarded. Um, before we get into before we get into this, let me uh, let me finish what I was saying on kind of my my introduction to Bond. I grew up with the Roger Moore Bond, and as you were saying, it was presented as light and kind of silly, 
Um, I wouldn't go as far as to is to throw it into the into the barrel with the '60s Batman. It wasn't that it wasn't that campy, but it was fun. There, there was a lightness mm-hmm. to it. Um, Timothy Dalton came along with his two movies, neither of which people thought were any good, from what I remember. Uh, but I they remember, weren't. but I remember as a kid, sort of appreciating them for just fun action movies. Uh, as I got a little older, and Pierce Brosnan took over the role. I started to lose interest, and here's why. And, and, and I, there are some people that I talk to online who are just ab- absolutely hate comic book movies. I think comic book movies are the worst thing that ever happened to film. They, they, these are the people who think Jurassic World is the worst thing ever captured on film. You know, they, they don't like the sort of they don't like the sort of big blockbusters, cellulite. You know, everything is crazy and exploding and cartoony. And in other words, love, they, in other words, they masturbate to every frame that Wes Anderson has ever shot. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. But I uh, but I enjoy that sort of thing. I go to the movies to see wild and cartoony and crazy. And while I can appre- look, I can appreciate an indie film as much as any other person. And that's what, this is somewhat why I, ha- I have some issues with with Skyfall, which I'll get to in a second. Um, when it when it comes to action movies, when it comes to um, see, like for example, sort of explain to you where I'm coming from. I wasn't into the Born I did the Born movies either. I would much prefer to see. I, I would if I'm gonna sit there and watch a two-hour action movie. I take me take me to a place far away from here. Take me to a place where you can inject somebody with miracle stuff, and he you know, and he turns from a skinny guy into you know into Captain America. You know, give me a giant green rage monster running through a ship after a after a gorgeous redhead. I'm into it. I like uh-huh. that sort of thing. Give me a guy on a motorcycle driving with dinosaurs, and then and then give me a dinosaur triple threat match. And I'm happy. Mark, remind me of something real quick, uh, because I'm honestly we're we're coming up on three years into into this show, and God knows I've loved every single moment of it. But I've actually lost track to a certain extent of whether or not we've done some franchises. Have we done Born yet? No. What was that? You said no. We have not done the Born franchise. Uh, then I absolutely cannot wait until we do. <laughs> um, but to, to clean this up so we can move on. Well, I can appreciate something being elevated to seriousness, which I think is what happened with these Bond movies, is they went and took something that was sort of fun and frivolous and tried to elevate it. It doesn't always work. And just because you tried to elevate something doesn't mean it's necessarily good. You know, you have to actually succeed at elevating it. You just can't say, well, I did it, and therefore it's okay. You know, and God said it was good, so it was good. It doesn't work that way. And that is, I think, my major gripe with the overall, and we'll break this down movie by movie, but the overall Daniel Craig Bond series is something that uh, that they tried to elevate to something very serious. And you said it before, almost aping the Bourne series. And there's some serious missteps along the way. They start off good. It's a good, strong footing with Casino Royale, which I really enjoyed. And then it's like they took, they took that second step and fell right off the fucking cliff. Stumbled. It was it literally the like clumsy waiter. That's how I can describe the Daniel Craig series up to and including Skyfall. It's strong foot, strong foot right, left foot stumble, Skyfall fell on nose. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so we'll get into... Well, the, 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 thing, the, the, thing, the thing to remember about this, though, is 
it's also kind of a fascinating study in adaptation because when the movies were first made, they were really a pretty sizable departure from Sir Ian Fleming's original character. And and obviously, audiences love that. No question about that. Uh, however, in this case, it's it becomes a question of when you're comparing, again, that, that line in the sand between what we'll just call classic Bond and Craig Bond. By the way, that sounds so like a South Park character, Craig Bond. <laughs> um, that uh, it, it's a matter of were you happier when Hollywood was taking their sizable share of creative and tonal liberties, or do you prefer something that's a little truer to the source material? Because obviously we, we've seen adaptations that have gone both ways, that have tried to really stick like glue uh, to, the or, to the origins, and some came out really well, some it turns out, really translated pretty poorly. And then you have those odd adaptations that really stray a long ways from the original and manage to go someplace that's totally new with it, that purists might see as being kind of a blasphemy under their sacred cow. But looked at on its own merits, you have to sit there and go, you know, that was actually pretty enjoyable. That was a lot of fun. I subscribe to the notion that the books don't matter. That would include comic books. I think um, film is film and books are books. And you can start with something that inspires you, but ultimately you have to create a solid film. Um, oh, I want to get into Casino Royale by saying this. One of the things that I started to hate about the Bond movies and what made me lose interest versus my love of comic book movies almost at hominem. Um, you know, and <laughs> well, there's a comic book movie I didn't like, but just uh, mm. to, to one degree or another, is that you're, is it the premise here is that this is supposed to be a real person and that this is supposed to be a spy. He's not a super soldier. He's not, he, he's, he, he, he's not uploaded into the matrix and has a Kung Fu pushed into his brain. Um, he's not a comic book superhero. He's a spy. This is supposed to be a guy who's supposed, who's supposed to get in and out of situations being unseen. He's supposed to have a delicate touch. And yes, the, you know, Ian Fleming's novels sort of got away from that as, as the years went on, as did the movies. But ultimately, it should come back to the same thing. James Bond is a spy who kills when it's necessary in order for him to get his mission done. And somehow or other, that evolved into he's an indestructible man doing crazy stunts and falling through, you know, 50, foot, 50 feet in the air through plates of glass. There's this, I mean, I remember there was one, it might have been a Timothy Dalton one or, or Pierce Brosnan, depending on what year this was. It had to have been Pierce Brosnan, where he's like in Korea. And, and driving a car, and the car's flying through the air. And it's one thing when it's the Fast and the Furious, and these are supposed to be silly. It's another when you're trying to tell me this is a serious thing, and this asshole is doing better and more crazy stunts than any superhero I've seen in any superhero movie. I'm pretty that's sure that's Bra. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Bra. I, I, yeah, I think that it was because because I think it was 
I think it was either that was either the world is not enough or die another day. I think. And that's when I just take my pants off and throw it at the screen. <laughs> give him a give him a fucking costume and a mask and a shield and let's that, that and let's call it that, really. You, that would imply you were wearing pants in the first place. Well, I go into the theater trying. Um, but so and that's what I like about this. And that's what I go and that that's why I like Casino Royale because I really felt like it took the silliness out of it. It does elevate the product. Casino Royale. Um, has a very interesting plot where they're essentially trying to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, and I'm sure you will, but I think if you boil the plot down to its to its brass tacks, they're trying, uh, Bond plays a guy in Texas Hold'em to break him so that they can use him uh, as an asset once he has no money and, no, and nowhere to go. because he, he, he owes some African dude. Um, <laughs> I sound so professional, some African dude. Uh, some African warlord, X amount of money. So he tries to make the money back after he loses it uh, through Texas Hold'em, and Bond is there to make sure he stays broke uh, in order so that they can use him as an asset. It ends up the CIA sort of have the same game plan. Um, that's what? That's interesting. It's getting to see Bond do something other than jump, you know, through you know, hundred-story buildings onto a motorcycle up a whale's ass and into the fucking stratosphere to fight Unicron. I, I, oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, yay, we're getting back to like what Bond is supposed to be. Not born and not Captain America. <laughs> so that's my take on Casino Royale. Um, why don't you go ahead and give us your take? And, and, you know, and do you agree with me that they finally got back to where Bond should have been? Oh, no, you're, you're actually exactly right. And, and I'll even admit that when I first heard about what they were doing with the series, I got to admit, you, you can you can go ahead and count me among the people who threw a fit about it, because the other reality about kind of rebooting a movie or trying to breathe new life into it is the simple fact that uh, a lot of times, I would even say more often than not, when you take a character and all of a sudden turn him dark or brooding or more grounded, it is often a sign that you have run the fuck out of good ideas. Sometimes it works. Not always. More often than not, it's done not because you actually have a good idea for where you can take that and add a new dimension to the character, it's just done because you're spinning your wheels and trying to buy time. And at first, that was kind of what I thought they were doing here. Was I, I was well aware that the previous three Bond movies had not really done that well, despite Goldeneye, in my opinion, actually being really pretty damn good. But then I actually sat down and I saw it. And I watched it all the way through, and I put all my prejudices aside, I was left with no choice but to admit this is really damn good. This is refreshing. Um, I, I don't need to really suspend very much disbelief. This, most of this feels really seriously plausible. I mean, obviously it's, obviously it's going to ha have its no-fuck-you bullshit moments. 
Sure. But and those are the moments you're not. Well, well, yeah, well, yeah, but those are the moments you're not supposed to take Dan seriously. Right. But, but no, hang, hang on. Right. Let's, most... let's compare. Hang on one second, and I'm going to give it right back to you. But let's compare something, just so people understand what I'm talking about here. I can accept a little implausible danger or implausible action where, you know, because I'm sure there's somebody out there going, die hard, fucker. Okay, you're right. I get it. Die hard was, if you've ever seen, I think it's the screen junkies who, um, you know, who say, I can't remember the name of the thing, but it, they actually sh- they actually show what would with the actual damage in Die Hard, and it's like Bruce Willis dies three times in that movie <laughs> from uh, what would actually happen to him. And I and I and I'm willing to accept a certain amount of uh, hero damage to move the plot along to give you that action that you that, that you thirst for. Now compare that to Quantum of Solace, where they're swinging <laughs> like a pendulum. <laughs> and there's glass flying everywhere. Dude, I put my arm through glass once when I was a kid and cut up my arm. You're, these guys get out without a fucking scratch. Get the fuck out of here. You um, know, believe it or not, the least believable aspects of Casino Royale, period, is, is just the damn poker game itself. Okay, I'm going to stop you there because we have a guest that I want to bring on one sec who insisted we talk I about this. Like, that, what, that, that, that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to kind of lightly seg- segue into okay. wanting to hear um, our good buddy Sam Eagle go off on his own little ta- little tangent on those because, goddamn, yeah. they are worthy of it. Okay, well, let me go ahead and say this much. I know nothing about poker, so could have fooled me and did, but... Here's a man who obviously likes knows his poker, uh, Mr. No Sell himself, my, my co-host with the mostest on uh, Wednesdays when we review movies, the evil man himself, Mr. Robert Winfrey. Tell us about how bad these poker scenes were. I cannot stress to you enough how completely implausible that entire game is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, hey, look, everyone at the table who still happens to have copious amounts of chips will hit what they firmly believe is the nuts. Yep. <laughs> well, look, we've all got full houses. And poor Matt Nicholson has to be there like, yeah, I actually know what I'm doing when it comes to poker. And for some reason, despite copious amounts of you know, logic being applied, I don't see the obviously telegraphed straight flush that James Bond is holding. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's funny, because like I said, I, I don't play poker. I don't gamble. So I, I, so I'm I don't gamble, but I've played my fair share of, you know, amateur poker. Same you know, here, yeah. With my friends. In professional poker players who play, you know, Thousands of hands a year can be at tables and will never, ever see that type of scenario happen. It is the most deeply insulting and implausible sequence to anyone with the slightest inkling of what's going on when it comes to playing that card game. You know what? If you really wanted to build up the tension of the actual game itself and you really wanted to go with this whole idea that this Bond is absolutely not bulletproof, that he doesn't walk on water, that he isn't walking around turning water into dry martinis shaken, not stirred. You give him something like like having to beat somebody else with just an absolutely titanium hand with 
something like uh, a pair of Give him rags. Yeah, I yeah. say give him absolutely nothing. Give him seven deuce yeah. and let him bluff his way out of it. Or, or those of you who don't know, or, seven deuce is the worst starting hand in Texas. Oh Hold. yeah, those are the absolute oh, yeah. dirt worst hold cards you can possibly have. Or, or even worse, have him take a beating on a few hands. Who does he? He he stupidly goes all in on one hand. That's not, and this is my other big gripe with this. Nobody, nobody does that that frequent. Nobody. I mean, part of the problem with attempting to portray what goes on at a poker table in a movie is it takes forever. Poker is not a fast game. You take your battles are incremental. Can I counter that, though? Hang on, let me counter that. Because, again, I'm not watching this as a spectator of professional poker. Um, I'm watching this as as somebody who is witnessing film. And and we all know film is not a perfect medium for showing, you know, everything out there. As you're saying, certain things do take time, and you have to truncate those things in order to make it, you know, go in order to not completely bring the film to a halt. So I'm watching it. This and scene does anyway, despite their truncation. I, I they threw in a pointless action sequence in the middle of it because, hey, we have to have something break this up, and Daniel Craig choking well, a bitch to death. That, that, that's the that's the point. That, that's the that's okay. So to, to, to the point that you the, um, the, I, the All I wanted to say is I was keying into the drama of the game. And what it was doing to Bond, and you know, and there's that whole side thing where Bond's like, "I can beat this guy," and he gets in, he gets into the argument with Vespa. That's more of what I was paying attention to, and I understand you're looking at this going, "This is the worst poker ever captured on screen," and I get that, and and certainly it lend it certainly it lends itself to the discussion of the action sequences was also look retarded in the other movies, um, but if you don't know that stuff, I think what the audience is left with is a guy who doesn't have control over all the variables, trying to get this plan to work and stumbling along the way and having to then figure it out. And I, and I want to take this back to something that I'm going to have to beat to death oh, throughout you, the podcast. Oh, you mean like rounders? Never saw it. Unless, oh, unless for the love. Seriously, Mark, come on, watch rounders. No. Unless, I, look, I, the, far, the furthest I get is pool hall junkies. That's as far as it goes. Um... So far in Casino Royale up to this point, Bond has done nothing right, according to M. And in the next movie, he'll do nothing right, according to M. And in the third movie, she'll kill him. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, I can see Bond in his mind, like, I, everything I do, I fuck up, according to my boss, and everything's a problem, and i got to dig myself out of holes, and, and now I've just lost the, you know, the gross national product of Uganda, so, so like, I get what's going on in this guy's mind, despite the fact that it's shitty poker. It, to me, the shitty poker didn't matter. What you're supposed to see there is Bond sort of get to the edge and try to pull himself back in order to take control of the situation. Go ahead, Sean. Which, which again, Rounders was able to convey perfectly effectively pretty much exactly the same thing using poker. Am I right, Robert? You're right. Uh, well, yeah. that and uh, John Malkovich's awful Russian accent, but beyond that. Well, well yeah, as, as a matter of fact, you have several different characters in that movie um, whose uh, poker-centered plans are thrown awry, and you have to watch them try to throw every, 
keep everything together. Oh, the, scene, but, the whole movie opens with Matt Damon losing all of his money. Oh, yeah. Wearing off poker. Edward Norton gets the crap beat out of him a few times. Has to run away yeah. from... He goes running. They get thrown out of small... T- I mean, it's a much better representation of... And here's my big gripe about this with Casino Royale. You could have done this so much better without adversely affecting the overall product. The notion, and again, my big gripe is at the very end there, when everyone puts all of their money into the middle, first of all, at least two of them should not have done that, based on their (laughs) hands and what everyone else was representing. Then, and and my other, again, sorry, let me phrase this properly. No multi-hand pots like that are so deeply infrequent as to be laughable. You could have so much easier had guys falling out left and right and underscored the tension between Mads Mikkelsen and Daniel Craig via them knocking other players out instead of, oh, look, everyone has a great hand. Let's see who's got the best. You know what I would really love to kind of, I guess you could say, see slash hear? Um, Robert, have have you ever seen the, the special edition DVD of Rounders? Can't say that I have. Okay, there's an alternate commentary track on that where they assembled. Oh, it's like uh, I'm gonna. The, the only three that I can remember, and I may be forgetting one or two, is they got Bill Hellmuth, uh, Johnny Chan, and uh, Chris Johnny Moneymaker Jackson in the movie. Moneymaker. Uh, uh, if they were gonna get other people, I'm gonna assume like Phil Gordon and Daniel DeGranu might have been part of it. I, I I think Phil Gordon might have been in on it, but they got them to do an alternate commentary track where they just strictly talk about um, how realistic the poker in the movie is or isn't. In fact, one of the be- one of the very best moments of it, one of the most perfectly tied parts, is um, the the part where. Um, Mike is trying to hustle at a casino table, and in voiceover, he's he's talking about all the other hustlers who are at this table, and he says, "Now, if you watch carefully, you'll notice that you'll notice that we're all trying to win, but we're not playing against each other." Chan just immediately pipes up, "Bullshit! The hell we are!" <laughs> <laughs> commentary tracks over <laughs> over the poker scene. God, help me alone. I, I, I would love to hear what that legendary shit talker has to say. Um, because he, he, he lives up to his name, the mouth. Um, That's Mike Mattiso. I, yeah, Mike, Mike Mattiso. Um, I, I'm just, I'm imagining Chan just rolling on the floor laughing at half, at half of his shit. <laughs> yeah, he, he probably Robert, would. If um, it, any last words on the poker thing here? If not, we're going to uh, we're going to move on here and say goodbye for the time being. Uh, just real briefly about the rest of the movie. It's nice to uh, I have to I've if anyone listened to my 
episode talking about these movies. Uh, For Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, I have a lot of good things to say about Mads Mikkelsen and his performance in it. Uh, The gimmick of crying blood notwithstanding and being a little bit silly, but (laughs) beyond that... Again, beyond that, he does a fabulous job of portraying, you know, this kind of money launderer, power broker, banker to the criminal underworld. And beyond that, uh, well, that and James Bond surviving what is quite possibly one of the worst Aston Martin car crashes in cinema history. Oh, now he's... With nary but a mild concussion. (laughs) No, no, that fucker is dead. Okay, but but I want to. But we haven't even talked about his relationship with, with Vespa yet, so I want to get to it. No, I might call back and yell at you over Skyfall, but in the interim, I'll, I'll I'm happy to sign off. Save it for Wednesday. <laughs> All right, I'll talk, we'll to you. I'll talk to you later. Yep, bye guys. All right, see ya. Uh, that's Robert Winfrey, everybody. You can listen to him uh, every Friday night, except for tonight, on Everybody Loves a Bad Guy, and then Sundays on the Four Hundred One Ground and Pound Radio Show. Uh, and Wednesdays with me as we discuss uh, the movie of the week, which will be ne- which this week will be Spectre, and the following week will be the Peanuts movie. And any case, so enough about poker. Um, let me let me just say the plot of this movie is you know there's no crazy like MacGuffin type thing. There's no there's no I mean it's a pretty straightforward plot. Um, yeah, I want to get to. I want to get to the, the, the ending of the movie where uh, you know, Bond, is, Bond has beaten Mads Mikkelsen. He's got the he's allegedly got the money, um, and he's handed uh, he's handed him to over to the CIA. And along the way, somehow or other, him and the Treasury gal who gave him the money fell in love, um, which it seemed to be a little quick. Seemed like kind of came out of nowhere, but for, for the purpose of this discussion and acceptance of the movie, I, you know, at, le- at least it wasn't Hayden Christensen and Pat and, and fucking uh, what's her face there, Padme. You know, it was slightly more believable than that. So they're in love, and uh, the next thing that you know, there's this whole third act of the movie where um, he gets captured, she gets captured, and she, you find out later on, gave up the money in order to save him, and then uh, he has to go after her and, you know, find out she has a boyfriend and all this other stuff. So there's this whole chase sequence at the end of the movie. And I guess uh, well, let me stop there and sort of get your impressions of the romance plot line of this movie. What did you think of that? Did you think it was believable? Uh, I think it was somewhat believable. Uh, it was... I think as as the rest of the movies go on, if we're to continue to kind of portray him as being a genuine dyed-in-the-wool womanizer, it's good to set it off with establishing that he's not just, you know, Glenn Quagmire made made flesh. That it's possibly because he did it once and he got badly, badly, badly burned by it. Um... So, I really liked that aspect. I did. And also, might I just sidetrack briefly by saying along the way, we got one of the best Bond captured and tortured sequences ever. (laughs) (laughs) Ropes and balls. Uh, uh, 
yeah, just for, for, forget all, all that hokey crap with explaining your whole plot your whole plot to him while he is surely restrained with no means of escape. No, we're just going to get straight to the point and beat the information out out of him by jacking him repeatedly in the balls. Say <laughs> um, what I one of the things one of the reasons why I accept the relationship is this is supposed to be like young Bond. This is Bond, you know, exactly. after he's been given 007 status. You know, and this, these are the things that are supposed to set up the rest of his career as we know it from Sean Connery to Roger Moore to Timothy Dalton on. So that's yeah. one of the reasons why, A, I wanted to do this. B, one of the reasons why I kind of like um, Casino Royale is that it is like the beginning of the Bond story instead of mm-hmm. sort of, you know, like Welcome Back Potter type of, you know, none of the episodes relate to one another in any kind of way. There's no progression. It's just this is the next this is the next Bond thing. Um, yep. You know, this, this going into Quantum of Solace is a continuation of the story, and Skyfall is a continuation of that. Spectre will be a continuation of Skyfall. So, I, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I like things that, that blend into one another and are not just independent independent chapters with no with no movement of the characters. Um, mm-hmm. And I and so. It's a lot of things to juggle, but like I said, I can accept them shoehorning in this relationship for the purposes of making him vulnerable. You know, I mean, he he just as soon he just as soon as he gets the 007 status, then quits to be with this woman, only to have to rescue her, and she dies in his arms. Um, and that sort of, you know, or that part of his origin, I think, is important. I think it was good to see. I thought it was well acted. And I think most of these are well acted movies. Don't get me wrong. I think the performances are fine, even if most of the characters are mumbling. Um, definitely. But uh, it, um, it definitely also felt a little strained. It was like, we have to have this happen. It needs to be there. We did all this other stuff, and we're running out of time. And so it did feel a little rushed, but it didn't. But like I said, it, you know, on the scale of you know Romeo and Juliet to Anakin and Padme, it's uh, I would say it's about in the middle. It's you got to say this though. A- at least it's not. Anyway, I thought Christmas only came once a year. <laughs> And, and, um, and again, and, and again, at, at least in this movie, we're establishing that we're treating the female leads like people. And again, like I said, we're not giving them names where you could seriously play a game with somebody of Bond girl or pony. <laughs> I don't know. Vesper has an interesting name. Yes, I know, but it's inter- it's interesting, but it's not. Asinine. <laughs> not money it's, No, or or <laughs> honey rider or sweet stuff. Again, like like I said, you you're like I said, you're, you're treating them like actual characters who actually impact this impact the story. They're, they're not there to just strictly be caricatures. Um, you know, where the, the, there is there is no Felicity Shagwell to be found here. Booty <laughs> <laughs> McBoob, so. pussy galore, as Robert Winfrey uh, informs us. Um, all right, 
two things I want to I want to do before we move on to quantum of solace in the interest of time. One, we must talk about Dame Judi Dench as M, and I'm going to say this now and get it out of my system, and I don't give a fuck. Okay, you understand me? I'm going to say it, and if I and if, and if I got scammed by it, I will. I don't give a fuck what anyone else says. I haven't seen a nag this bad in the movie since Adrian Balboa in Rocky Three. Give me a fucking break. I'll I'll grant you that one. <laughs> My God, two movies. She does nothing but nag this man. She, she's firing him every other minute. When she's not saying I completely trust you in the same scene. Do you realize in Quantum's house she fires him and says that she completely trusts him in the same scene within a matter of seconds? I had to reread the Wikipedia page on that because I'm like, what just happened here? And it literally says like. <laughs> He walks away and comes back, and that's enough to convince her that he hasn't done it on Rob Yeckity Shrekity. I'm like, what? This is some spy agency. Folks, the the only thing you really need to know about Quantum of Solace at this point, even Cinema Sin, um, watch watch this damn movie, and even they admitted, we have no earthly idea what's going on. We just want it to end. Yeah, um, but back to back to Casino Royale and her nagging him through this movie. Like she gives him, she gives him 007 status. Let, let, let's kind of walk through what happens, and you'll, you'll see my point with this. In the in the very beginning of the movie, um, he you know he shoots the uh, the turncoat, and that's what gets him his 007 status. The next thing he's uh, chasing, as Wikipedia calls it, the parkour chase. First of all, if you're calling something a parkour chase, just stop. You've already fucked up the movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, some, so some bomb maker in Africa who also does parkour is able to run through like a construction site and get to an embassy, and they're doing all kinds of crazy stunts. He also gets himself shot in the leg. And uh, Bond is, is is outnumbered and outgunned, and you know at this point all he wants is what's in the bag. So he says, screw it, I don't need the guy, I just need his bag, and that'll tell me what I need to know. So he gives him up, he shoots, he causes an explosion, and he gets away. Nag number one. <laughs> okay. At this point, I'm like, you fucked up, and you can't, I can't believe you, and we wanted to question this guy, and why did I ever promote you? She sounds like every, like, angry sergeant in a police movie. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You're out of control. Bond. And, and, and to her... To the character's credit, if this, you know, what she does say is, I actually do agree with, like, you're supposed to, like, not be seen and be all nonchalant and hidden, and you're, like, blowing things up in embassies. What's wrong with you? (laughs) So to her credit, I get it. But, you know, there's, like, you can't do that. You can't be, like, you're a complete fuck-up. And then, like, there's no rest of the movie unless he goes rogue. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, none of, there's nowhere else where this happens in the world. There's nowhere else where you're a complete fuck-up at your job. You're being yelled at by your boss. Like, I should have never promoted you. Now go out there and keep doing it. Like, what? <laughs> it's, well, in this movie, he is basically on just one big ceaseless revenge rampage. The problem with that, of course, being is that while it makes a lot of what he's doing sort of make sense, you still can't follow fuck all that's going on. Well, that's quantum so, of solace. I'm talking about Casino Royale. 
Because after the, the thing, that's when he oh. breaks into her house and she's yelling at him then, too. And she's like, yeah, you're done. And he's like, no, I got things to do. And she tells him to go on holiday, stick your head in the sand. And he instead yeah. continues his investigation and he goes to the Bahamas and, and it just goes on from there. Um, you know, and then eventually he gets enough evidence where, where she buys back into, she's like, oh, I thought I told you to go on holiday. He was like, well, I said, fuck off and get, didn't completely disobey you. But I have evidence now. And she says, okay. You, you know what? I, 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 at, this, at this point, I feel like you could get a pretty good Snickers commercial with a little pointed commentary out of M just saying to Bond, Bond, have a Snickers. Why? You're not yourself when you're hungry. Eat the Snickers better, pans back to him. All of a sudden, he's Liam Neeson from Taken. <laughs> <laughs> because because it's throughout all of Quantum of, Quantum of Solace. Again, yes, you can justify his actions and make them make sense in that he's he only has one thing on his mind, and that is payback, vengeance, retribution. Right. So, but, yeah, I'm going I'm to abandon Casino Royale at this point because, hang on, from, from the Bahamas on, even through you know, the ending chase scene, which, again, I want to say, when they throw Vesper in the middle of the road and he has to turn quickly to avoid killing her, and he you know, flips the car a million times, that fucker is dead. James Bond doesn't make it out of Casino Royale. I'm sorry. That's the, well, that's well, the, right, first, that's the first one where I'm watching this going, Get the fuck out of here. He's not Captain America. Stop it. He was right, not even but, but as Captain I, America lives through that. Well, well, right. And as I keep trying to point out, um, the the whole problem is, is while it makes sense from a story standpoint, the fact is it's also no fun to watch because you're just watching one random strung-together chase scene after right. another. That's what I keep trying to, what I keep trying to get at. And regarding the whole parkour thing, I sincerely am beginning to hate the advent of that trend. <laughs> I really seriously am because there are times where based on the character, yeah, it's believable. Feasible based on what you based on what you know. Um, for example, on Arrow, Oliver Queen does it. Okay, he was he was trained on a rem, on a remote, isolated jungle island to survive. He happens to pick that up as a means of survival. Okay, I get that. Fair point. Uh, pretty much any protagonist in an Assassin's Creed game. Okay, I get it. I'll grant you that one. Then further down the progression, okay, back to Arrow. Roy Harper just happens to be able to do it. Just <laughs> random punk street kid happens to, happens to all to already be a parkour master. Um, okay, not sure why, but you know it's DC, so feasibility kind of goes out the window already right there. But then we're talking about James Bond here. And all of a sudden, he's John goddamn Morrison. <laughs> Bullshit. Nope. Where, no. Where, yeah, right. Where? 
where in the where in the MI6 training was, <laughs> was he put through rigorous parkour workouts? Again, he's supposed to be a spy. Explain right goddamn now where they're figuring that's going to be a day-to-day part of the part of his routine. I realize I'm supposed to. Go ahead. I, I, I realize I'm supposed to suspend my disbelief a little bit, but we're talking about, you know, puck on an activated air hockey level of suspension <laughs> versus cert motherfucking soleil suspension. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I will suspend my disbelief that you standing across from me at point blank range and still miss me with your, you know, with your gun. I'm willing to accept. I'm willing to accept the G.I. Joe principle, which is a thousand rounds of ammunition going in every direction. No one gets hit with a single bullet. Got it. I, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I can live with that. Um, I can live with fire passing you in a tunnel. I can live with that. You know, I can live with dogs escaping fire passing them in a tunnel. I get that. Dogs never die mm-hmm. in any of these movies. What so, I refuse to accept is that a guy who's supposed to be a trained spy is also a ninja. Stop it. Just, you know. And, and again, and that's, and that's where I bring up the parkour thing, because it's one of those things that was used here and there at one point when it was just kind of emerging as, as, a, real, as a real trendy thing. And then all of a sudden, every work of, every visual work of fiction is working that, that into the action somehow, mm-hmm. whether, it's, whether it's believable or not. Um, yeah, I, they have Daniel Craig doing these crazy jumps, and you know, and he's hitting things like an acrobat. It's like, what? I it gets to a yeah. point where, like I said, because you you can't tell me these two different things in the movie. You can't tell me he's supposed to be a regular guy who doesn't have superpowers, and he's a, mm-hmm. and he's a British spy, but he's also able to do things that no human being could actually do. That, yeah, I'm sorry, he's evidently Ezio Auditore. <laughs> um, <laughs> And the bad guys can do them too. Like you know, he's ch- he's chasing you know a quote unquote a bomb maker, who is also apparently you know a parkour enthusiast and can also you know de- de- defy fucking gravity and make these you know huge leaps. It's like Jesus Christ! Even Spider Man missed the building every once in a while. Well, well um, yeah. Whereas whereas in real life, if just random ass people were to try most were to try most of this shit. It would look a whole lot less like Assassin's Creed and a whole lot more like Andy Bernard, Dwight Schrute, and Michael Scott. At least Batman flopping around the Dunder Mifflin office. office. I don't know if you caught that, but I said at least Batman like has a cave tool that allows him to glide in order to make oh, certain yeah, jumps. Yeah. Or he has a grappling hook. <laughs> and he's Batman. And he's trained by ninjas. Yeah, okay. Robert Winfrey just said that that's part of my gripe with the Mission Impossible franchise. Tom Cruise is not a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> but at least that, but at least they could actually say you know that that was part of his training was nin, you know was ninja and parkour. And I'm okay with that. But you know, but mm. that's not that's not how that's not how the MI6 operates. Sorry. No, um, no. Uh, all right, so we we got to get into Quantum of Solace and then Skyfall. And Skyfall is probably going to be a long discussion. So I think we we've established that Quantum of Solace, like plot wise, makes zero sense. I'm going to break it down like this: the bad guy says he wants oil, 
Turns out he's trying to control Bolivian water. This is a continuation of what happens at the end of Casino Royale, where uh, this group Quantum is responsible for the debt of Vesper. So Bond is continuing mm-hmm. to pursue Quantum out of revenge for killing his girlfriend. And, you know, I think it starts off with like a car chase. Another, you know, again, one where I just sort of roll my eyes, like, oh, here we go again. Um, mm-hmm. Because unless you're going to do something visually cool with a car chase, like they've done in The Matrix, uh, The Matrix Reloaded, I, I tend to just kind of, you know, or The Fast and the Furious, where they're driving cars through buildings, you know, 100 feet in the air. I'm kind of, <laughs> seen one car chase, seen them all. Um, at, at this point, at this point, if you're going to put a car chase in a movie, at least use the the, the music from uh, the Blues Brothers. You know, give me something. <laughs> no matter what the car chase is. Da, 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 da. Um, but I want to take this opportunity to talk about the fighting style because there was a lot of this. There was a lot more of this in Quantum of Solace than there was in Casino Royale. Casino Royale really took a yeah. time with the plot and gave you that slick bond that I was talking about that I actually appreciate and enjoy. But then we went right back mm-hmm. to uh, Bourne's older, crabbier brother, James Bond, in, in yeah. Quantum of Solace. Like, the direction style was basically, well, the Bond movies are popular. Fuck it. <laughs> let's, just do, let's just do a Bourne movie, and we'll call it James Bond. And that's kind of to me was Quantum of Solace in a nutshell. Um, so Andrew Graham, is that right, Andrew Graham? Andrew Graham, yes. Yeah. was nice enough to send in some notes here, and uh, I'm going to share with you his notes on the fighting style and then uh, toss the mic back to Sean. Well, um, it's, well it's, 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 it's worth pointing out that uh, these notes are not coming from somebody who's just a film fan. It's, it's somebody who is an avid, accomplished martial artist himself. So... Uh, somebody who certainly understands the practicality of uh, of how hand-to-hand combat should work. So just uh, kind of try to keep that in mind in mind as you're listening. Um, okay, so he starts by talking about World War II British intelligence figure Major William Fairbank. Fairbank was a police officer in Shanghai. Uh, during the 20s and 30s, he studied a number of martial arts: boxing, sabate jiu-jitsu, judo, and Chinese martial arts. He began working uh, his own system based, kind of like Bruce Lee, based on hundreds of street fights he engaged in during his career. He was commissioned in the British Army at the start of World War II and was responsible for training allied special forces in close combat. His approach to fighting was get tough, get down in the gutter, win at all costs. Uh, I teach what is called gutter fighting. There's no fair play, no rules except one, kill or be killed. This philosophy strongly permeates every fight scene in these movies, starting from the fight that begins Casino Royale. Interesting enough, much of Fairbairn's met- Fairbairn's methods have been republished. Amazon is a wonderful thing. And there are a number of exchanges in the movies that are more or less lifted from these books. So that you know, so instead of just sort of you saying, oh, it's the bornification of James Bond, uh, Graham's point is, well, no, it, it really goes back to this particular person in British history and his fighting style. Okay, fine. Still looks like it still looks like a Bourne movie, including the color palette, which is like. Well, know, I, I I think it's I think it's more a Bourne movie in terms of the really irritating motion sickness inducing way that it's shot, more so than necessarily 
the fighting style or, or even the, the excess of parkour and vehicle chases. The hand to hand really didn't bother me really didn't bother me all that much. It's just that it was about the same problem as Transformers in that the cuts are so fast and the shots are all so shaky that past a certain point you have no idea who's fighting who. Right. No, agreed. I um the movie was hard to follow from a plot perspective, but also from an action perspective. So the whole thing just becomes a, 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 it just becomes gobbledygook. You know, um, I don't know why anything is happening, and I and I have to keep reading the Wikipedia page in order to follow along with the movie. And I, for one, couldn't wait for it to be fucking over. Uh, yeah, you you could you could really just make your own fan poster of this movie and just erase Quantum of Saw. So- Quantum of Solace, which surprisingly turned out a surprisingly good Bond video game, by the way. And just sub in the phrase, just fucking end. Um, this is another one where, where Judy Dench nags him to death. <laughs> I feel like this is, this is another one where, oh, she's like, come in and be debriefed. That was it. That, I feel like she's this scene. She's putting on, like, cream in her face. She's like, you bond. You have to come in. You, you Once again, you, you, you've destroyed the world, and uh, I have to answer for it, and we're a terrible agency, and you have to be debriefed. And he's like, piss off. It just goes and does whatever. Hmm. <laughs> and that is, okay, and then there's a scene in the hotel. That's right. She sends, she sends the red-headed shit. Strawberry Fields, which... You can say all you want about the characters are silly, but come on. She's of course she's of course joined by Song and Tapper's only Hawk band. Who was who of course accompanied by the Walrus. Um in any case, so Strawberry Fields Forever uh ends up sleeping with Bond, she dies, she gets she gets the dunked in oil and um you know, and so Bond so Bond goes out, you know, goes on for revenge for her too, and you know, and, and uh, M like blames him for her death, and again, and again, it's one of those where she has she has come in person with operatives to arrest him and bring him in, and he walks out of the room, beats the shit out of a bunch of guards, comes back, and it's like, okay, I trust you, and then they're like, why didn't you arrest Bond? Well, I trust him. All in the span of five minutes. You, oh, look, you're, you seem like a smart guy. Did I miss something here? Um, no, no, <laughs> you, you, sadly, you really, really didn't. Okay, you really then. didn't miss a whole lot. It's God, the fuckery, the fuckery. <laughs> So him and the, the and horrible, the, horrible fuckery go go to the hotel for the final end sequence, which is essentially fight, fight, explosion, fight, explosion, fight, explosion. Leave bad guy in the desert with motor oil can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Movie ends, and that and that is your book ended story. It starts with Casino Royale, and ends with Quantum of Solace, and we start off with a new story with uh, Skyfall, which. The only thing I, before, I never I, I didn't see Skyfall in the movies. I didn't see any of these in the movies. But Skyfall, I remember specifically, like everybody around me had seen, and I remember my dad talking to me about it, and 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 I somewhat trust his opinion on movies. He's he's pretty he's pretty fair, and he was like, 
this movie reminds me of The Dark Knight. And I said, why? And he didn't even bring up the stupid villain plan about, you know, purposely getting himself caught in order to continue to fuck with uh, MI6 and M specifically. Mm-hmm. He left that part out. He was like, so the movie sets up that James Bond after, and I, and I don't even remember if he told me he'd been shot, but, and, and proceeds to fall off not one but two cliffs and down a waterfall. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. that fucker's dead. Okay? That fucker's dead. He did not live through that. Get out of here. Um, but he was talking to me about, like, oh, it's kind of like in The Dark Knight Rises, where, you know, Batman, the, the, you know, the doctor tells Batman that he's completely uh, broken and battered and, you know, and would not recommend, like, spelunking or whatever it is he thinks he's going to do. Um, <laughs> he's like, it's a similar thing in Skyfall, where they do the, all these tests with Bond, and he fails every single one of them. Um, but yet he's able to go out there. If he's that crippled, how is he able to do any of the things that he does in this movie? And I and I thought that was funny at the time. And then I watched this movie, and I'm like, it's it it just takes you right out of it because, like, you know, I had people trying to convince me as I was talking about this movie yesterday that like, oh, it's, you know, this movie's really elevated. You know, people aren't yelling and screaming on screen like in a Transformers or an X Men movie. People are actually acting. I'm like, okay, but just because you're your your performances are good doesn't make the movie good, and you're you're telling me things about these characters that you're not then backing up with anything in the movie. You, you know you can't have a guy who's physically and mentally crippled to the point where he shouldn't be allowed to come back to MI6, and then there's nothing else in the movie that happens that shows him physically unable to do things. You see what I'm saying? Like you, you know you talk to of a professional wrestling. They, they, and for those who, who aren't into it, and every time we bring this up, roll their eyes, please bear with me. There's something called psychology. And psychology is you're trying to convince people that the other guy is hurt by doing certain things that aren't really hurting him. Okay? So, you know, working an arm. Now, it's one thing for you to work the arm. It's a whole other thing that the other guy has to show, has to show that you've hurt his arm. And what modern wrestling people forget to do is they, they, they forget to show the audience the arm still hurts well after the person's worked, that, worked the arm. But in the old days, they would show the audience the arm is still hurt the whole match, and even as you're walking back through the curtain. So you've set up from the beginning the arm is hurt, the arm continues to be hurt, the arm continues to be a problem throughout the match. It works the same way, or it's supposed to work the same way in film. If you show somebody is, you know, is having difficulty physically or mentally or whatever, you then need to continue. That needs to be a hurdle for him throughout the movie, maybe something for him to overcome. At no point in Skyfall do I ever see him in any sort of peril because of his own physical health. He's in a, in a way, in a way, it's a, in a way, it's a little bit of this. Um, theater principle, it's an extension, I think, kind of, of uh, Chekhov's gun, which um, it's it's a theory that and that's dubbed that because Anton Chekhov postulated that if in the first act of a play you show a gun conspicuously in the scene, you better make sure that somebody gets shot by the end of the third act. The the idea being is, is to display some thrift, some economy, and making sure that there's no wasted motion, that everything you do has a purpose. 
Um, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to the audience now. You're probably going to hear some strange sound effects. I had to finally get my son up because he decided not to take a nap. <laughs> and I chose at this point to give up on that prospect. So occasionally you might hear Lightning McQueen, or you, or you might hear my son mm-hmm. beg for a drink. <laughs> Just take it as part of the long road to ruin experience. <laughs> you don't <Yes>, say. <laughs> so moving on with this. Um, so yeah, so that's my that's one of my big problems with Skyfall. To, to, to those you know, to those who are like, oh my god, it's the greatest movie. Look, I'm not saying Daniel Craig's performance is bad. It's great. It's very it's haunting. He's he he's psychologically uh, you know throughout this movie um, tortured. Uh, I think Judy Dench does a very good job with her part. The the uh, the actor who plays the villain, um, you know, Javier Bardem, Jokey the Joker, uh, Loki the Joker, um, he's fine. He, he's very captivating. So from a performance standpoint, the movie stands tall. It's just mm. that I can't buy the plot, and the other things that you set up in the movie, like I said before, don't follow. And just because the performances are good. And it's, and it's trying to elevate the Bond series, you can't forgive all of these things. You can't just throw them out the window and be like, oh, I didn't see it. You know what I mean? Um, hmm. let, let, let's talk about this plot for a second. Essentially, we have a rogue MI6 agent who decides to take his revenge specifically on M, but, you know, the MI6 uh, total. And it's, again, one of these deals where, where he's hacked into the system, he causes an explosion, and he's thinking so many steps ahead that he's, you know, that they go underground, which he predicted would happen. And then he lets himself, quote unquote, get captured so that he can get out, change into a disguise, and murder M, you know, and murder M at, uh, at this hearing that she's at. Which, how did he know she was going to be at a hearing? And they formulated it. It's, 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 like, it's, it's so, so much. It's it's so much that depends on so many exact conditions that have to be planned out just literally years in advance. Um, it's it's utter absolute insanity, and it's kind of where the more grounded aspects of uh, Casino Royale uh, unfortunately meet with a lot of the abject kind of unjustifiable silliness of a bond kind of from the Roger Moore era onward. And it, it really doesn't work. Um, well, I mean, it does, but it does, but it doesn't. Uh, you sort of have to, this is a movie where you really have to accept some bad with a whole lot of good. You know, I was thinking about the the Dark Knight, and you know, the Joker's thing is similar too. Though I'm not convinced that the Joker's overall plan was getting caught. I think it was he got caught, and there was other thing happening that, at the same time. But you know, if you'll remember, um, where the Joker gets caught is he's trying to kill uh, Harvey Dent, and Batman. <laughs> And you know, and Batman stops him. There's a huge, there's a great car chase in the middle of the movie. Um, 
He stands in the middle of the road daring Batman to kill him, which Batman doesn't because he's Batman. He gets taken to the police station, and I don't think he ever really thought that far in advance. Like, mm-hmm. like I think whether or not he was killed or captured or anything else, he had already he had already set up the double cross that was going to land uh, Mag, Maggie Gyllenhaal and Harvey Dent uh, in, in getting captured and then subsequently blown up. Yep. And so even yep. if he had died, that was going to happen regardless. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was more believable, oddly enough, than this ridiculous plot. And then I, and then I, think, about, then I think about the Avengers. The whole reason Loki got captured, allowed himself to get captured, was he was trying to screw with the Avengers and hope and hopefully they take they take themselves out. But he's another one who had other things happening around him. He had Hawkeye, and uh, you know, and the the rest of the Shield agents that he had mind controlled, off completing missions for him while he messed with the Avengers. So getting caught or whatever was it was it was just a distraction. It was a red herring. It wasn't an essential part of the plan. Well, let's just let's, let's let's essential go. part of the plan. Spade is spade. Um, it's a matter of both Loki and the Joker having a combination of a keen abilities to improvise when necessary, and b having a lot of backup plans that they can still turn to in the event that one of them goes tits up. Um, right. that's, and that's my, that's my problem the, with this. That's my problem with this plot in Skyfall is that if he misses a step here, if anything doesn't go yeah. his way, the whole plan falls apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And nobody, nobody can, can be that exact. Um, right. It's uh, the believability is really straight out the window, and that's that is what makes it so hard to endure. And it's I don't want to say it ruins the movie, but it takes a very good movie and stops it from being an excellent one. Then you know they have this. You and I were talking before the show. You have this entire series of like politicians and British British uh, agents and dignitaries all shot and murdered, and Bond decides, you know who's really important here? Emma. Who for the last two movies has been nagged repeatedly, okay? Nagged repeatedly that he's a shit agent, except for the, except for the five minutes at a time where she tells him, you're good and I need you. So, okay, so we're talking about maybe like an eight to two ratio here. You know, like eight percent of the time, you know, eighty percent of the time, you know, you are you are a shit agent, Bond, and I wish I'd never promoted you. Twenty percent of the time, I need you. Get to work. And and from this eighty twenty relationship, we have this great relationship where he's like against all odds and and to fuck with everybody else. uh, I must save you, Mum. Well. Well, what what it does, and I won't pretend to presume whether or not they intended this or not, is it takes the rapport between M, between the two from the classic Bond movies, and tries to inject it into the reality that they have already established of the current movies. 
And you're absolutely right. It just, to have that suddenly happen, it just absolutely, utterly makes no sense because you haven't even had any significant moments in the previous two, even fleeting ones, where that show through and been entirely established. Can we, I forgot this part, I forgot to mention it. Can we say he's awfully forgiving because she's the one that told uh, Money Penny to shoot him in the first place? <laughs> it's, it's yeah. Not, it's a hundred yard shot and they're in the, and they're in, they're tangled in a loving embrace. Take the shot. Who said that? <laughs> I'm not you sure know, what they, else you really said. They they were leaving her of duty at the beginning of the film because she's lost this list of uh, of uh, of NATO agents or whatever. But not because she but not because she made horrible judgment in telling someone to take a hundred yard shot and shoot an agent. Her best agent, by the way. Who she thinks is a pilot. Yeah. It's I think we really kinda of said about all we can about about Skyfall at this at this point. I mean it's Oh really? It's, you don't want to talk about that ending? Why don't we get Robert on to talk about the ending? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You need to go. I, I don't think no, I'm keeping. <laughs> no, I no, I don't. But I just I, I seem to recall that Robert had a lot that he wanted to add. That he wanted to add too. The ending is it's boggling. Go ahead and lay it out for everybody. Well, essentially, an army shows up with a helicopter with a gun. It shows up to a rickety, you know, to, to an old house. Which they have been bootstrapped. They have one. They have like one gun, I think, between them, and they're, and they're going to take out this army that's coming. They're dead set to kill M. Like I said, there's a certain amount of GI Joe I can I can accept in a movie. There's a certain amount of you know everybody has stormtrooper aim, but this got, this got ridiculous. You know, and and when and when they started in with the booby traps and everything, I was like, oh, you know, and now we now we need them to pull a mask off somebody. And I got gotten away with it too, if it wasn't for you stinking kids. If it wasn't for you stinking Brits. <laughs> um. Yeah. So the, so the, between the uh, between the, uh, an old man James Bond who's, bro- who's who's broken, but you wouldn't know it, and M. Who you know? Who's an office kitty cat, and you know, and hasn't been out in the field since Lincoln uh, was president. Uh, they managed to take out an army of mercenaries, dead set on killing, all armed with and they take down a helicopter with a Gatling gun. Which somebody mentioned it to me, like, why wouldn't they? I think it might have been Andrew who said, why didn't they arm the <laughs> arm the helicopter with a rocket? Like, if you know that this is where they're going, like, James Bond and M have taken to a home out in Scotland. What do we do? What do we bring with us? How about bombs? That was the one thing I really liked about that scene that, that I thought was at least believable, was you had the villain throwing grenades into the house. And I'm like, yeah, that, now you're thinking. Why shoot him with a gun? And he should have worked with Lucas with you. Just so, the nonsense. So much of the nonsense. You, so again, Bob, we, we, go ahead. 
you know, we, we spend the whole movie with this ridiculously intricate, all-or-nothing plot, and then you still have a conceivable way the objective can be met and salvaged simply with better choice of armaments. <laughs> and you're still deciding to do things the hard way. And, you know, I, so when asked why don't I like James Bond movies, it's, it's kind of, it, it, Skyfall is going to become like my stock answer. It's these incredibly convoluted, unnecessarily convoluted plots and normal human beings being able to, allegedly normal human beings, able to do superhero things better than the superheroes can. You know, people talk about Man of Steel and the amount of death that occurred in Metropolis when Zod and Superman went at it. And I look around at how much damage Bond does. No one, no one bats it up. You know, Bond, how many people has Bond killed driving recklessly through cities? How many people has Bond killed setting off, you know, random explosions in the village? You know, past a a certain point, I would think that Bond's greatest enemy would start to just become insurance companies everywhere. (laughs) Because because he is just systematically bankrupting the entire goddamn industry all by his lonesome. There was a uh, there was a comic book that came out. It was a it was a four part series called Damage Control in, in the Marvel universe, and it was Damage Control shows up after the superheroes have gone left. There needs to be a Damage Control in the Bond universe. You know, he does he did more damage to Africa than the fucking Hulk did. Oh, oh God, did he? <laughs> it's like we're we're approaching like Schwarzenegger and Commando. Levels. God, Schwarzenegger was able to keep it relatively confined. All right. So, all in all, Skyfall. Skyfall looks good, and you and Skyfall has very good dramatic performances. But the plot is asinine, and it's it. it there's so many unbelievable things that it takes. It, it took me out of the movie. I'm not entirely sure what people saw in this movie that they think it's wonderful, and I'm almost willing to take calls on this. People can explain to me, people who hate the Avengers, people who hate X-Men, people who hate you know comic book movies or Pacific Rim um, or Jurassic World, people who hate those movies or Transformers, especially this last one, um, people who hated those movies but loved Skyfall and explain to me what fucks the difference other than well, some of those I, movies had more believable plots. Well, I can tell you that a lot of what saves it is uh, the actual character-building stuff with Bond. The the actual, the, the added dimensions of real of really breaking him and kind of see, kind of seeing him rebuild by the end by the end of the movie, that's a lot of it. I, more than anything else, I think is what probably just about anybody is going to say. Uh, okay, so there's one lane of this movie that's a character piece, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm with those people. I enjoyed seeing sort of his arc, and I will say that maybe you know, comparison to the movies that I've said before, he at least has one. <laughs> a lot of those other figures don't. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll give you that. But <clears throat> your move can't just be one lane of traffic. You you can't no. like well okay. So Bond has this really great character arc that that you can sink your teeth into and appreciate the drama of. Meanwhile, everything else around him is shit. <laughs> okay. I suppose. I mean, I, I guess if you think about movies like The Fast and the Furious, where you have you know you you have decent and nonsense performances, you know, and completely unbelievable stunts, but what people but what people really gravitate to are the car stunts. And as long as the car stunts mm. are good, people will people will say the movie is good. You know, all anyone cares about in Jurassic Park movies are the dinosaurs. They don't give a shit about anybody else. So as long as the so as long as the performances are passable and the dinosaurs at least look remotely real, people are happy. And they were. The tune of like five hundred some is exactly generous. Yeah, dinosaurs, right. See? Even the one knows. Jonas, what does the dinosaur say? That's right, Jonas, you're a good boy. Jonas, what did you think of Skyfall? Exactly, roar. <laughs> All right, so with that said, um, I think we've, we've encapsulated <laughs> I think we've encapsulated the Daniel Craig James Bond series in one simple word. Roar! Yeah, it's um, it's it's a welcome reboot, and uh, to be quite honest, I'm I'm anxious to see what they're going to do in terms of a whether Daniel Craig is actually going to make up his mind whether he wants to continue being Bond, and b I've understood what he's in line to do a fifth one. I think the fifth one is the end of the road. Uh, Yeah, I think his comment not too long ago was he would rather slit his wrist with broken glass than do it than do another <laughs> Bond movie. However, he also back he also backpedaled a bit and acknowledged, look, you were asking me that after I just got done shooting it. Of course I was exhausted and I said, God, I don't want to do wanna do that again. Doesn't mean that doesn't mean I'm entirely ruling it out in the future. But yeah, I also really want to know if, since as I said, I've heard two different sides of it, whether Spectre lives up to kind of what the reception has been for Casino Royale and Skyfall, or if it's more along the lines of just a great big old hot mess with no direction like uh, Quantum of Solace. So... I think that's going to be that's going to be telling, you know, it's this series yeah, it's going it's going to piss off any classic Bond fan who has never seen it. It's going to make them mad. They're going to hate it. It's too dark. It's too serious. I want gadgets and goofy names and silliness and smart wise cracks and blah 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 blah. Uh no different from any classic wrestling fan who says that they miss, you know, Hulk Hogan getting his ass kicked for 15 minutes and then 30 seconds of no, of no selling and then 25 minutes of posing at the end of the match. Uh, tastes are going to differ, but as always with everything, 
you just got to be honest about it and take the blinders off, acknowledge its flaws, defend it, defend them if you can. But you know, it's uh, again, it's it's like a bunch of cinema sins say, no movie is without sin. And God knows they spent about 15 full minutes detailing all of them in uh, Quantum of Solace. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they had to stop themselves. They wanted to get it up in a timely fashion. All right. Um, so that's we're done for now. We will be back mm-hmm. November 19th with the Chronicles of Riddick, uh, the three movies in that series. I'm going to attempt to sit and listen to, to, to Vin Diesel mumble his way through a sci-fi uh, series. And then we'll be back on December 3rd for the Mighty Ducks trilogy uh, and celebrate yeah. Sean Day at the end of the year. Um, next Thursday, Mel Hammer of Doom will be celebrating the Thanksgiving holiday with a big turkey, and that turkey is Limp Biscuit. We'll be uh, looking at the best of Limp Biscuit, the greatest hit with a V, folks. So myself, Robert Cooper, and special guest Jesse Starcher will bring you holiday cheer with Limp Biscuit. They do it all for the nookie, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You take that cookie. Take it up, yeah. Um, this Wednesday, we'll be reviewing Spectre, and um, we'll see if I have uh, the same sort of criticisms of Spectre that I had for Skyfall, or let's see if it'll go back to, back to its roots. Roots, I tell you. Casino Royale. Let, 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 let's get serious here. Um, another Skyfall. Uh, the week after that, we'll be looking at the Peanuts movie. And then um, December 2nd, I believe, we'll be reviewing The Good Dinosaur, Pixar's latest release, which uh, apparently is getting very, very good reviews. If it's, if it's as good as Inside Out, first of all, I will not be able to breathe. I'll be crying so hard. Second, it'll be amazing. So, and then December is all about Star Wars, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, December seventeenth, my friend Tom and I will be venturing the world of Star Wars and the after party. And the following Wednesday, I will attempt to explain to Rob why The Force Awakens is the greatest movie in the history of cinema. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> so that is all for now. Uh, Sean, you got any plugs? Oh, just a few. First off, thank you so much to Benjamin J. Cologne for yet another week of fantastic title card art. Uh, This one, he just kept it very, very simple, but it's always in the final details he puts in there. Uh, He always captures the spirit of whatever movie we're talking about so very, very well. Go give him a follow on Twitter, at Solexo. Find him on Facebook. Um... He uh, does a little thing we thing that we slash he like to call Sketchbook Saturday, in which it is exactly what it says on the tin. He pulls out his sketch pad, his pencils, and likes to every so often take requests for just random things for him to just improvise. Uh, we've seen everything from tributes to great movie monsters to a battle between to a battle between Cthulhu and Jaws, to Cluck Thulu, Chicken Cthulhu, which is proof... Has he done one of a Tyrannosaurus Rex? Has he done one of a Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, cross with a uh, with a shark, tearing apart the Carnival Cruise Line? Did we get that one? 
No, but he needs to get on it. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, always <laughs> lots of tremendous, always lots of tremendous things going going on there. If for whatever reason you haven't gotten enough of me over the last few hours, and you would like to converse some more about the greatness of the Kansas City Royals and the rebuilding process of the Arizona Coyotes and video games, movies, comics, whatever I happen to be watching on Netflix, find me on. Fi- Find me on Facebook. I have two active accounts. Do not go to the one with the red and white CM Punk logo. That is my very, very personal account. Uh, Nothing against you, but that's close friends and family only. Instead, look for the one that all this month is going to be featured, a scrolling rotation of Mass Effect characters in honor of my favorite holiday and seven-day. Um... And please, if you decide to message me or friend request me, please drop me a line with hashtag LRTR uh, so that I know that you're a fan and not just somebody who is randomly trying to friend me so that I will like their YouTube videos or Vines or what the hell ever. Um, Otherwise, I'm always open to stop and chat during the day. I'm not really doing much else for the time being except working on other professional stuff and developing my new podcast. Uh, It's just an all-purpose geek news and variety show called The Power of Three that is going to be premiering in mid-February, hosted by myself alongside my two good longtime friends and soon-to-be new members of the Rod Litchin Broadcast family, Ann Alberti and Jeremy Holsoff. Um, and in the meantime, thank you as always, Mark, for a great show. Thank you, Ben, for the outstanding title card work. Thank you so much to Andrew Graham for the superb notes on all three movies. And uh, until November night, never dull your coat. Thank you. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, and thank you to Robert Winfrey for calling in and playing along playing along at home via Facebook. And as I always say, never go your colors for someone else's canvas. All right, and here's the uh, the new theme song for Long Road to Ruin and for our weekly Wednesday review. Uh, this is a theme song for all the studio executives putting out today's movies. Money, 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 money